So we're in the middle of this series, well actually almost at the beginning of a 20-week series, it's the fourth week, called Mountain Monologues. It's about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. If you're not familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, it's a message that is the longest single sermon that Jesus ever preached. It takes up Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. And what we're doing, we started on Easter, we're going to work our way verse by verse through this entire message. And we're going to take a chunk of it each week. So far, we started on Easter by talking about the Beatitudes, which are blessings that Jesus pronounced on people for certain actions and attitudes they did that reflect His will and purpose in our lives. Then the second week, we talked about um, what it means to be the salt of the earth and what it means to be the light of the world as Jesus' followers. And then last week, Pastor Brad talked about Jesus' statement that He came not to destroy the law of Moses, but to fulfill it. And how he actually did that by living a perfect life, dying on the cross, rising from the dead, then going to heaven, and then sending his spirit into those who believe in him so that we can do the things we can't do. In fact, as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, and today in particular, we're going to start with one of the first of many statements that we're going to simply read in and say, how in the world could we ever do that? Because he's going to take the sixth commandment out of the ten commandments, the commandment that says, you shall not murder, and he's going to change it in such a way that it becomes impossible to follow in our own will and power. What he was doing was he was creating kingdom people. By kingdom people, what I mean is Jesus wants to establish the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And those words are interchangeable. In the book of Matthew, it will say the kingdom of heaven because Matthew was a Jew. And the Jews didn't like to say the name of God. In fact, in the Old Testament, everywhere the word Yahweh, which is the name of God, or Jehovah, some people would pronounce, um, is found, they would actually not ever say that word. They would only say Adonai, which means Lord. So when Matthew says kingdom of heaven, he means the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is a place, ultimately, but it's also it's a, it's a way of living. Jesus said the kingdom of God is within us uh, when he was teaching on the earth. And what that means is God is king in our lives, that we follow Jesus as Savior and Lord. It means that as we read these statements that we're going to read today and all through the summer, and we say, how in the world can we do that? We're going to recognize it's only by the resurrection power, the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives that we can. One of the most, I think, beautiful aspects of the kingdom of heaven in its eternal expression is there will be people from every nation on the, on the planet who will be part of that kingdom. As we look around, we will see people from every tribe and language and people and nation, it says in the book of Revelation. And so Jesus is going to tell us today about what it means to live as kingdom people. So a couple weeks ago, after the message I preached about salt and light, one of you uh, wrote some questions. And when I say one of you, the only reason I can't say who it was is because it was anonymous questions. And as I've been saying, if you wrote an anonymous complaint, what I do with that is I I file that in in my garbage can. Because if you have a complaint, you're welcome to have complaints. A lot of people do around here. But just, you know, confront me personally and we'll talk about it. Um, But this is, uh, these are anonymous questions. And I've been saying uh, presented by a woman because the handwriting was so wonderful. Uh, At least it's no man that I know who could write such questions. Um, And they're really good questions, so we're going to share them right now. Here they are. 
So we're talking about this behavior change, becoming kingdom people in the power of the Holy Spirit. And what she asks is, so when does the different behavior really, see how it's underlined, really represent the work of the Holy Spirit? How do we trust the change? People try in their own strength, then they let us down with behaviors that clearly say they haven't changed. Do we pray for their ability to yield to him and wait? Those are great questions. They really are. And what they're, the heart of what they're getting to is, if the Holy Spirit's really changing somebody from the inside out, then why would the change not be permanent? And one of the challenges that we face as followers of Jesus is, sometimes we receive Him as Savior and Lord, and we seek to live this new life, and we are stepping forward in the Holy Spirit, but it's like we step forward one step, and we step backwards two steps. And so why would the change not be permanent if the Holy Spirit is the one that's at work in us? That's really, I think, the heart of the question. But I love the heart of the questioner because the last question she said is, do we pray for their ability to yield to him? That's the people who, you know, say they're following the Holy Spirit, but they're really obviously not because of their actions. Their actions show them not to be. That's exactly what we must do. And and as I closed out that message, I said something that's really important. I said that all we can really do is show up. All we can do is obey. In, in fact, in your outline, it says our part is to obey. And then it's the Holy Spirit's part to make the change in us. The Apostle Paul put it this way when he wrote his letter to the Philippian church in chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. He wrote, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, he was present with them when he planted the church and then he had to leave. He says, much more in my absence. So he's writing the letter because he's no longer at the church. And he says this, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So Paul wasn't saying we have to work to be saved, that if we just were finally good enough that God would accept us. That's not at all what he was saying. What he was saying is we do the part that we can do, and then God will do the part we can't do. That's him willing and working for our good pleasure inside of us. And that work inside of us is the Holy Spirit at work. And what does the Holy Spirit do? He wills and works for God's good pleasure. He changes us from the inside out. And so the re- I read a, good, a great quote this week about how this process happens, and more or less how it looks, I should say. And that is... Uh, A guy named A.J. Gordon wrote it, and he said this. The difference is, whereas before, before we knew Jesus as Savior and Lord, it says it was hard to do the easiest things that God wanted us to do. Now it's easy for us to do the hard things. Now, a life of following Jesus is a a life filled with hard things. We're going to see that in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. If it's ever ever going to be easy... It's only going to become easy as we open ourselves up more and more and let the Holy Spirit work inside of us. So before we turn there, let's sum up the questions with some responses for the the person, I believe, the the woman who asked the, the great questions about the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Number one, we can never know for sure when someone else's behavior is coming from the Holy Spirit. I simply can't know if it's the Holy Spirit or not inside of you. Secondly, we can only know for sure whether the Holy Spirit is working in us because we know what we're like. And we know how the change is going about. Thirdly, we do know for sure that we can block the Holy Spirit's work in our lives through disobedience. And then we know that the Holy Spirit is always ready to will and to work for His good pleasure 
in us. That's God's good pleasure in us. And we can always pray for others to yield to the Holy Spirit's work and to wait for that to happen. So let's move to today's take-home point. And for those of you who are new or watching online for the first time, the take-home point is the one point that I'm going to make from Scripture that we want to take home and live it out in the week ahead. And so here it is. Jesus said, anger equals murder, so we must overcome it. So that's going to make a lot more sense once we actually read Matthew 5, 21 to 26. But when Jesus said anger equals murder, what he was saying is that inappropriate anger, not righteous anger, which is always legitimate, but inappropriate anger is worse than murder. It's, it's like killing someone. And the thing is, we live in an angry world, don't we? Every, every day we hear people yelling and shouting and screaming. It seems like no one can just talk at a normal tone. And we hear about people in, in incidents of road rage, you know, because somebody didn't take off soon enough at a red light. People shoot each other. We have situations where people are sent to anger management classes, you know, from work or from school. And I've watched enough sporting events over the years that I think some of us need to have, you know, anger management classes for how we play. So let's turn to uh, page 13 in our Mountain Monologue booklet, if you have one. And we're going to read Matthew chapter 5, verses 21-26. If you don't have one of those booklets, uh, you can use your own Bible or your Bible app, or it'll be up on the screen. But let's listen to what Jesus said about anger and murder. Jesus said, You've heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to the judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, You fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your truth. It, as difficult as it is, impossible really for us to fulfill. We pray today that you will open our hearts and our spirits by your Holy Spirit. Speak to us so that we can see how we can actually live out this command of Jesus, which we know since he gave it to us, he wants us to follow. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus started with a command everybody knew among his audience. He was talking to a group of Jewish people and he said, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Actually, Jesus started out by saying something that we might slide right past. He said, you have heard it said to those of old. He didn't say you've heard that it was written. They didn't have Bibles. They didn't have Bible apps. They didn't have a mountain monologue booklet. Nobody really, probably most of the people in the audience that day couldn't read or write. Of the 12 disciples, only probably two or three of them could read or write. But all of them knew the Sixth Commandment, every single one of them. If you were a Jewish child living back in that day, when you were born, you would have been started to be introduced to the law. That is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Most children by the age of 10 had memorized those five books of the Bible, even though they didn't have a copy of it. That's pretty amazing. How many of you have memorized the first five books of the Bible? No, never mind. Okay, so even though we have Bibles, even though we have phone apps and all the things that we have, most of us have not memorized 
the first five books of the Bible. What I'm saying here is these people, when Jesus started saying, you know what the, the Bible says, or you, he didn't say that, you know what they say, what the law of Moses says about murder. For instance, they knew that if you accidentally killed somebody, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't your intent to harm somebody, you could run to a city of refuge and live there so that the family member who was charged with retaliating against you, that's where the whole eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth things come from, is it was to limit retaliation, not to, you know, make things worse. But if you did it accidentally, you could go to the city of refuge and live there and you would be safe. So they knew all these kind of things. And so Jesus is telling them a commandment that everybody understood. And they're probably thinking, okay, so what's he going to say next? And what he said next was incredible. He said that, G- that anger equals murder. Let's look at that for a minute. Anger equals murder. And he didn't stop there. What he said, if you're angry, you're going to be liable to judgment, which was the thing that would happen if you murdered somebody. But then he said, if you insult somebody, what's going to happen? You are going to be taken before the council. That is the Sanhedrin, the 70 men who made the judgments about all the matters of the Jewish faith in that day. And then he said, if you call somebody a fool, literally the word raka means empty head, you're in danger of going to hell. So these things got progressively less in offense, but the punishment is progressively greater. I mean, for calling somebody a fool or an empty head, you could go to hell. Why would Jesus do that? Why would Jesus make it hard for somebody to be obedient if he wants us to obey him? Why would he do that? Well, remember, what's he doing here? He's establishing what kingdom people are like, what the citizens of his kingdom are like. And it starts with being redeemed by him. Redeemed means set free from sin and death. So that would be the starting point. He hadn't really told the crowds yet that he was going to die in, in, in his place, in their place. But that's where he's heading with this. If you're going to live as a kingdom person, it's going to look like this. You're not going to get angry at people. You're not going to insult people. You're not going to call them fools or idiots or anything like that. But you're going to live in a whole different way. Now, I don't want you to raise your hand here. But I want to ask you three questions very quickly and just answer inside. So have any of you here ever been angry at someone? Don't raise your hand. Have you ever insulted somebody? Have you ever called somebody a fool or an empty head? Maybe you never heard of that empty head, but you'll probably start calling them that now, right? Okay, so we've all done it. We've all done these things. And so Jesus is telling us if we are going to Live as his people, as his kingdom people. We're not going to do this. And the thing is, he doesn't even tell us how to stop doing it. He just goes on with a final illustration about somebody having an offense against us. It says this, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you'll be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So now if you're thinking that this command sounds simple enough, right, I'm going to offer my offering and I remember that somebody has something against me, so I go and straighten it out. Seems simple. So Irish and I have something against each other and I go to Irish and I say, hey Irish, I know we have something, let's, let's work this out. So we work it out, sounds reasonable. Until you realize, where is the altar? The altar's at the temple in Jerusalem. The Sermon on the Mount was being preached 100 miles away in northern Galilee. So you're 
taking your once-a-year trip to Jerusalem for Passover or one of the major holy days, and so then you get to offer your sacrifice, but when you're just getting ready, you remember that one of your brothers or sisters has something against you back in Bethsaida or Nazareth or somewhere, and you have to walk 100 miles back there and straighten it out. And notice it says, your brother has something against you. That doesn't even count for all the times when you have something against somebody else. So once again, what Jesus was doing here is he was showing us it's impossible to live out Jesus' new command concerning murder. You you just can't do it. There's no way that we're going to do it. So why would Jesus do that? Why would Jesus make it impossible? And here's the short answer to that question. He wanted us to depend fully on the Holy Spirit. And if you're sitting here by now thinking, okay, so all I have to do is sort of like just sit here and let the Holy Spirit work. There's nothing, I don't have to do anything. That isn't what Paul said. It isn't what Jesus said. What we can do is we can obey. So here at New Life, I've often used this illustration. If I'm walking away from God, you know, darkness represents sin. I'm walking over here in a sinful situation. If I want to be back there where God is, if I want to be back there in obedience, I can do one thing. Turn around. That's all I can do. I turn around. The Bible calls that repenting. So I, re- I turn around, and that's what I do. That's my responsibility. If I don't repent, nothing will change. And so once I change, turn around, then the Holy Spirit gets to work in my life if I open myself up to Him. A couple of months ago, the New Life Students Group was uh, doing a series on the Holy Spirit. And Pastor Alex gave a great analogy about the Holy Spirit. What he did was he uh, took out his iPhone. I don't know if it's an iPhone, but a smartphone. And he said, this is you. You're the phone. Inside, there's a battery. If the battery, the battery is dead, it doesn't work. But if the battery is good, that's the Holy Spirit. The battery is good, then it works. I just want to tweak his analogy one little bit because I think it's a really excellent analogy. I want you to picture this is you, your phone, and you have a perfectly good battery, but the phone is switched off. Because once the Holy Spirit is in our life, which he comes in when we trust Jesus, Savior and Lord, he's in there. He's inside of your life, inside of my life. So what we have to do is if we want to have the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our life is we simply have to push the on-off switch and Siri wants to help me. Can you help me preach? figures. Okay, I'm I'm on my own here with the Holy Spirit. That's good enough. All right, so the point of that illustration is that the phone is perfectly good, has a perfectly good battery, and we just have to switch it on in order for it to work. In our lives, God has transformed us through the blood of Jesus Christ, and we are perfectly good, if you will, in Him. And so to have that happen, that we can look like Him, all that has to happen is we have to say yes and ask him to fill us with his spirit so he will work. Now, in our lives, the thing that we have to understand over and over and over again is simply this. I've said it once or twice. I'm going to say it one more time. Our part in the life of faith is to obey Jesus. That's our part. In their book, Experiencing the Holy Spirit, Henry and Mel Blackaby wrote these powerful words. We've discovered there are primarily two categories of people. Not the intellectual and the simple, but the willing and the unwilling. Let that sink in for a minute. In our lives, if we want to live the kind of life that Jesus is telling us to live, here it's without 
you know, being angry towards others or insulting others, then we have to be willing to open ourselves and say yes to the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Now, I'm going to ask you a question, and I don't want you to answer right away. If anger equals murder, do you want to be innocent of the charge of murder in your life? Now, everybody's going to say yes. That's what you're going to say. But I want to know for sure, do you really want to change so that when somebody does something offensive in your life, you won't get angry? You won't insult them. You won't, you know, call them fools or empty heads or whatever. And the reason I want you to think about this before you say yes is because all of my life, from the time I was a little boy, I had inappropriate anger in my life. And if, you, if you've read the book that we gave out at Christmas Eve, a funny thing happened on the way to the beach that I wrote, you know that my dad, you know, he displayed inappropriate anger from the time I was born. And when I was five years old, there was an incident. My, I, I had a temper tantrum, and my mother sent me to bed without dinner. And so I went upstairs, and my bedroom was on the right, but I didn't turn right. I turned left, and I went in my dad's closet, and I got out his 16-gauge shotgun. I put a shell in it. I closed it, and I pointed it where I thought my mother was, and I pulled the trigger. Now, what happened was it, it didn't kill my mother. Thank God for that. It blew a hole in the floor. It didn't blow a hole in the ceiling below. Somewhere the BBs ended up in, the, in, the, you know, in between the floors. And uh, you might say that triggered a, a little incident in the house. And I ran downstairs, and when my mother caught me, she spanked me, and she asked me a very important question. Are you ever going to do that again? And I said at the top of my lungs, if I get mad enough, I will. Now, after the second spanking, my mother asked me, are you ever going to do that again? Now, I'm a little slow, but not that slow, right? So what I said on the outside was no. But on the inside, I was still saying, if I get mad enough, I will. Now, it's Mother's Day, and I'm all dressed up for my mother, and I'd like to tell you that when I was a teenager, I got over that anger, and I was, you know, you know obedient little boy and, or teenager, and that, that I got over it. I grew up, grew out of it. But I didn't. And I'd like to tell you that when I was a young adult, that it went away, and I you know, became a pastor, and I'd like to tell you that it went away, but it didn't. And I'd like to tell you that when I got into my 40s, you know, midlife, and you start to make some decisions about the rest of your life, that it went away, but it didn't. In fact, that anger was with me until I turned 50, and I read a book called Change Your Heart, Change Your Life. And really, what Dr. Smalley said in that book was very simple, that you have to give up and let the Holy Spirit work in your life and let the Bible's truth change your heart. And when you do that, it will change your life. And so as we were, as, as I was thinking about this message and getting ready for it, I, I knew something was going to happen that would really test whether that is really true in my life. And it was a little thing, but it didn't take much, you know, to change my um, inside, a little guy inside that goes, if I get mad enough, I will. Didn't take much for that to come out for most of my life. So yesterday afternoon, I was getting ready uh, to serve water to the worship team. I always do that before worship when I'm preaching. And so I was in the refrigerator in the kitchen over there. And, I, I, and as, as I got the water, I was leaning up. And the, the freezer door sticks out really far. And it jab, jabbed me right there. Really, I mean, really hard. I was like, and, and, you know, maybe you've never experienced this before. But when I was 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 or 39 or 49, I would have said some things, and at least under my breath, that I couldn't repeat here in worship. But what happened was I went, ow, that hurts. And literally, literally that was my response. Now, that was the Holy Spirit's response because that was not my response. 
And what I'm saying is, in your life, that's what has to happen. If we're going to change when it comes to anger and insults and calling people fools, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen from the Holy Spirit's work inside of us. Because that little five-year-old kid that said, if I get mad enough, I will, he still lives inside of me. And I believe that if you had that little kid inside of you, he or she is still inside of you also. Because the Bible calls that the sinful nature, the flesh. Never changes. We never grow out of that. I'd like to give you five easy steps, you know, for growing out of your anger. And and there are certainly anger management techniques that will stop you from outwardly having displays of anger. And I recommend those. But what we're talking about here is internal change. And so if you're following along in your outline, it says, I can say, Jesus, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I yield myself to you. Now, that's not just Chris Marshall. That's, I hope that you would put your I there. I, you know, Marsha Simpson. I yield myself to the Holy Spirit so that I can be different. Because that's what it takes. If we're really going to change, there aren't five easy steps to overcome anger in your life. Jesus doesn't give them. In fact, all Jesus tells us is, it looks like it's hopeless. It looks like it's hopeless. But it's not hopeless because God is at work in us who know Jesus as Savior and Lord to will and to work for His good pleasure. And when we let Him do that, the change happens. So all that's necessary for the church in America, and let's make it more personal, all that's necessary for you or for me to have the transformation that Jesus is preaching toward in the Sermon on the Mount is for us to yield our will to the Holy Spirit, to turn on the switch and let the phone work. Turn on the switch and let the Holy Spirit be active. Now, this is something I want you to understand, and I'm going to, first of all, give you the next step for this week because it's a simple one, not easy, but simple. It says, I will let the Holy Spirit free me from inappropriate anger this week. I will let the Holy Spirit free me from inappropriate anger this week. So what that's saying is the next time, you know, somebody tailgates you or the next time somebody doesn't go when the light turns green or the next time, whatever, you hit your head on the freezer, that instead of responding with that little five-year-old, you know, Chris Marshall kind of guy, and you want the Holy Spirit to work in your life, what you have to do is yield to the Holy Spirit, and He will work. I was talking to a guy here at New Life a couple weeks ago, and he had grown up without God in his life, into his 30s. And he was an angry guy growing up. And uh, so he said that he trusted Jesus as his Savior and Lord in his early 30s. And over the next few years, notice what I just said, the next few years, not days, not weeks, but years, his dad noticed a change in him. And so many years later, his dad and him were having, going for a little walk. And, and his dad said, I, I want to get this exactly right. He said, I don't know what happened to you, but I'm glad it did. I don't know what happened to you, but I'm glad it did. And you see, there's the thing. I don't know what happened to me. I do actually know what happened to me. I finally told the little five-year-old guy, sorry, I'm not listening to you anymore. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit work. And that's what will happen. When we do that, people will start to notice. 
your family members will start to notice. Your coworkers will start to notice. People at school or on the football field or the soccer field or wherever will start to notice, hey, what happened, you know, to you? And that's when we have the opportunity to say, well, Jesus has freed me from that way I was. Maybe it would be better to say Jesus is freeing me because we know that there will still be a time when that little guy is going to come out, right? But over time, little by little by little by little, and I hope it doesn't take you 50 years like it took me. I hope it can be shorter than that. Because I've seen people whose lives have been radically transformed and they get it right away that they can't get better. Only the Holy Spirit will change us. And they, they lean into that right away and their lives are radically changed quickly. Then there are those people like me. And it's radically changed over decades. And so if there were people around, my dad isn't around anymore. I really wish, I believe my dad would say the same thing that, that this guy's dad said to him. More importantly, I hope that your mom or dad, your son or daughter, your coworker, your classmate at school, your friend, your best friend says to you in a couple of weeks, a couple of months, a couple of years, I don't know what happened to you, but I sure am glad it did. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we don't have to be who we were born to be, that we don't have to be the angry little kid or the angry adult, that we don't have to always blow up every time something doesn't go our way. We thank you that when Jesus pointed out to us the increasing cost of what seems to be the decreasing offense that he simply wanted us to throw in the towel and rely on you. Today, God, I pray for anybody watching online, anybody in the room who has never trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord, I pray that today, right now, they would simply say, Jesus, I surrender. I don't want to live the way I've lived. I want you to be my Lord, my master, my owner. I want you to save me from myself, from the sins that are so prevalent in my life. And God, I pray that you come in and take over by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, I ask you for all of us who have already done that, maybe a day ago, week ago, years ago, decades ago, that you would pour a new measure of your Holy Spirit into us, that you would free us from ourselves so that we can live boldly and confidently, humbly and compassionately in your Spirit's power. We pray this to your glory and honor and in Jesus' name, amen.